welcome to the Recover You podcast with Kyleen and Patrick Terhune. It's here that we talk about sex addiction, betrayal trauma, mental, emotional, and physical health, faith, and anything and everything needed to recover you to your most authentic self that God created you to be. Welcome to another episode of Recover You with Kyleen today. Today I'm going to go through the free download. You can download this at the link um, in the show notes before or after. If you'd like to go through um, the the points together, you can go ahead and and get the PDF. But I'm going to go through 10 things most churches won't tell you when your husband looks at pornography. And this is a PDF PDF that I've had out for about the past year, year and a half since we've gone public. I, I came out with it fairly quickly um, because there are so many um, there are so many things and so many times where the the women or the betrayed spouse feels a lot of pressure pressure to make a decision pressure to bubble wrap her spouse so that she doesn't negatively impact his recovery pressure to um, you know not feel the full depth of your emotions pressure to not consider pornography an affair there's just a lot of internal and external pressure that we feel particularly when we are surrounded by a faith environment or have been raised in a super conservative or evangelical um, background. And so because of that, I wanted to go ahead and actually take the opportunity to go through this with you on the podcast and discuss some of these things together. And uh, when I came out uh, and, and started talking about the church's response to pornography and our experiences and, and all this kind of stuff, not only did I have my previous experience where I went through a divorce and just essentially lost all of the relationships that I had in the church culture at that time, had to leave the church that I had been going to for 17 years, all all of that painful, painful stuff. But when I started talking about this, I heard from so many of you as well that have had painful church experiences and, and things that happen all the time today where you'll go to your priest or you'll go to your pastor when you find pornography on the computer and you're just encouraged to forgive him or to wear more lingerie or to have more sex or to be nicer, or you're just told that, well, you know, he's crying and he's repenting. So, you know, that's good enough, right? Or, or, or sometimes they'll even say, well, I will mentor him, right? I've had clients where they thought that their spouse was getting mentored by the pastor and uh, the pastor just did not have the qualifications, did not know how to support the spouse. And so they thought they were doing the right thing, getting the support and the help they needed, right? And this is how uh, all of this ends up playing into more church wounding, more trauma, more hurt, more pain. So I just kind of wanted to go through, you know, from my perspective as a Christian who has been through divorce, who has been through betrayal, uh, who now works as a trauma recovery coach and all these different things, uh, who has been hurt by the church. You know, I want to go through this from my Christian perspective about some things that you need to know from a Christian perspective. So I do hope this is helpful. So this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Looking at pornography is equal to an affair. You are being abused when your husband is acting out. You are experiencing a trauma and church counseling is not what you need. Divorce is not just okay. It's often the best choice. Now, I know that's going to ruffle a lot of feathers, but again, I'm just going to pause here and say, listen, when when I am sharing these thoughts with you, I obviously believe that they are biblically sound. Um, I am a Christian. I do take that seriously. However, um, I want you to listen to this and take what is helpful and encouraging and empowering to you. 
I want you to question it. I want you to do your own research. I want you to think about it. And um, I want you to delete whatever you don't agree with. It's totally okay if you don't agree with me on some of these things. But uh, like I said, I do think they're biblically sound. I'm not going to go into a lot of theology today. Um, I'll have to, I would love to bring some other people on to kind of go deep dive into some of this um, that are just better qualified at speaking to it than I am. But I, I've really kind of done that on my own in terms of, um, kind of coming to what it is that I believe and and learning what the scripture says. And so anyway, I, I encourage you to do the same. If you'd like some resources, please reach out. But again, just take, take what is empowering and helpful for you. Um, think through things on your own, do your own research, and then delete anything that I say that's not helpful. But I hope that this is encouraging. So divorce is not just okay. It's often the best choice. Don't rush into forgiveness. Again, I think some of these are going to ruffle some feathers, but we'll talk about it. Boundaries are loving. The Proverbs 31 wife is actually a badass. You are not alone. And I hope after listening to this podcast and particularly this episode that you uh, really, really understand that. Couples counseling is not the first step and may never be a step. I actually had someone, uh, a client, I was on a call the other day and uh, she was talking about doing couples counseling and we were just sort of discussing it. And obviously I said, listen, um, there are options out there that are valid and um, you know, you, you do what... Uh, you need to do. And we kind of talked about like when it would be helpful and in what situations and why in a lot of cases it's not. And so she goes, oh, so it's couples counseling is not actually like required for betrayal recovery and, and reconciliation. I was like, no, absolutely not. A lot of people that go through recovery never get couples counseling. But again, when we're talking about, you know, 10 things most churches won't tell you, couples counseling or biblical counseling, things like that, those are often like the first recommendations, right? And they're just not helpful. So we're going to talk about that. Uh, and the last one, your choices are between you and God, no one else. And, and if I can stress nothing else on this episode today, I do want to say that. And that is, that religiosity is not going to be the answer for your recovery, okay? And so there are so many things in here that we have to pull away cultural stigma. We have to pull away what we've been taught in different churches. And I know a lot of us in in my generation being raised in a really fundamental evangelical culture, uh, a lot of us in this generation are really you know, people are calling it deconstruction. I heard someone uh, say one time detangling. I really liked that because I do believe in Jesus. He is my savior. I do absolutely believe in the Bible. And there's a lot that I was taught over the course of my 37 years that I don't think is part of that. I don't think it is Jesus. I don't think it is the Bible. I think it's uh, American evangelical culture. I think it's, you know, all these different things. And so we do get a lot of this influence. And, you know, when I went through my divorce, I really had to come to terms with what I believed as a Christian and what the Bible actually said and and what I believed was reasonable and acceptable for me to get a divorce. And, and I felt good about it. I felt very aligned with my choice. I felt very good about my decision. I felt very aligned with God in that time. I felt like he was totally okay with it and we were good. And so I wanna remind you that it really does not matter what your life group thinks. It really does not matter what... Um, your church or your pastor thinks. It matters what God thinks. And and you having an intimate relationship with him and you doing your own research and having conversations with him to determine the outcome of these choices that you
that you need to make over time. So I just want to reiterate, we should always, always, always come back to God and the relationship that you have with him, not external human opinions that are outside of scripture and outside of your relationship to God. I'm not saying that you don't get good wisdom and advice and support from other Christians. I think that's invaluable. But I also just acknowledge and want to validate there's so much church hurt and trauma out there and there's so much bad advice from the Christian community. And again, that's religion and that's human. That's not God. And so I just want to make that delineation here. Okay, so let's just start at the beginning. Um, The first thing that I mentioned was looking at pornography is equal to an affair. There really is no gray area here. This is one of the most frustrating things to me in, in the Christian church when pastors or biblical counselors do not take pornography as seriously as when a spouse is physically being intimate with another human being. So I think it's really important to acknowledge that pornography and masturbating to pornography is taking your spouse's sexual energy and engaging it towards another human being that is not you. It is not their spouse. And I don't know in in Christianity what else would be the actual definition of having an affair. And, uh, you know, it's very clear in Matthew and the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about, you know, lusting after a woman. And uh, when you look at a woman, you already uh, committed adultery in your heart and that sort of thing. And, and he takes the Old Testament and, and in, in the Sermon on the Mountain, in his teachings in the New Testament, what he's really doing is talking to the heart behind it, right? So it's all about the heart. You're, it's not a pure loving heart that is focused on your spouse that is engaging with other images or other human beings with the intent to release sexually, okay? So there, there really is uh, really no other way to think about it. And then of course, within sexual addiction, we have pornography, we have um, real human beings, uh, you know, engaging in cyber sex and, and there's money involved. We have prostitution, um, you know, we have, we have just so many different, there's a whole spectrum, right? And I really do feel that it is just very important to call it what it is. It's really important to use the right terminology and, uh, you know, to, to first of all validate the betrayed partner, you know, that what you're experiencing is a trauma and it is an affair and it is infidelity, period, end of story. Uh, There is no gray area here. There's no argument here. Scripture is very clear on this. I don't know why people don't address it. The only reason, the same, the only reason I think that that's a possibility is that so many people are engaged in it that uh, Christian leaders and Christian men are desensitized to uh, how, how evil it is and what an impact it actually has on the spouse. And so they go, well, it's just, you know, boys being boys and it's not actually that bad because they didn't sleep with someone. And that's just false. The pain is the exact same. The trauma is the exact same when um, it's with pornography or still pictures as it is with a live human being, either virtually or in person. And honestly, Uh, This isn't even discussing the fact that, you know, pornography teaches you to objectify women instead of respecting them, right? Um, Sex is, it teaches them that sex is for your individual pleasure, right? It just really perverts the idea of sexuality in general, which obviously is incredibly anti-biblical. It's created to be within the committed relationship of marriage and your sexual energy is to be engaged towards your spouse. So that is, um, 
the first thing that I mentioned in this PDF is that looking at pornography is equal to an affair. And so if you have been wondering that, I want to make sure that you feel validated in all of the deep emotions that you have been feeling and the betrayal that you have been feeling. It is the same as an affair, even if it is just quote unquote pornography. And I hate that term. It's never just pornography because it is just as bad as someone having an affair. Okay, this is a tough one. And this is the second point, you are being abused. Okay, so I find that terminology is very important um, that we use the right words. Because again, in the last point, I was talking about how as a culture and a society and in Christianity, we've actually become so desensitized to pornography that we're not even really acknowledging how evil it really is and how destructive it really is. And terminology is really important to use so that we really feel the, the weight of the behavior and feel the weight, right? And, and for the addict and for the person that has done the betraying, it's incredibly important that they are able to use the right terminology and understand the depth uh, of uh, uh, and the fallout of their behavior and how it has impacted other people. And so this is where I think, um, you know, using the term abuse is actually important. I find it to be very important. So let's just uh, define it very quickly. Abuse is using something to bad effect or for a bad purpose. A misuse of something is to treat a person or an animal with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. And and again, just to to simplify that, it is the improper use of something. This is hard, right? I know many of you are probably going, I can't call my husband an abuser. Everybody thinks physical abuse, right? I get it. You know how much I love Patrick. He's on this episode. I know, or he's on this podcast. I know how much you love him. I know how everyone in our life loves him. And he's the nicest person. I always say that. He's so kind. He's so wonderful. He's such a good human being. Using the terminology abuse is hard when you're thinking about someone like that, right? We think, oh, well, it's just people who hit their wives or who are verbally abusive and all these sorts of things. It's not. It's not. When you are not engaging, Uh, in a kind, respectful, loving way towards your spouse, there are so many avenues where it does trail off into abuse. And again, I think it's very important to call it what it is. So, and Patrick, by the way, he felt very, um, he, he felt, he took that very seriously as well because it was kind of a shock to him to recognize that the behavior was abusive. And so we're gonna talk about the different ways that that is true. And within pornography use and sex addiction, there are many layers of secrecy and manipulation. And again, there's always a spectrum, right? There's a huge spectrum, but I want you to kind of think through some of these and say, hey, is this maybe what's happening in my situation? Okay, so the first one obviously is verbal abuse. This is obvious. This is kind of what we think of, right? Um, But there are so many people that it's kind of like the frog in the boiling pot. Never would you imagine you tolerate so much until you're five years, eight years, 10 years, 20 years into this. And then you look back and you go, well, maybe there's a lot of excuses, uh, uh, excuses, right, Um, of well, it's not that bad, right? Well, he hasn't physically hit me, right? Verbal abuse is abuse. um, And this includes things like gaslighting you, trying to make you believe that what you know isn't true or so what you know is true isn't. So they they just take um, things and twist your words and they you really feel confident about something and they just really... um, try to discredit you and make you feel less confident and that's gaslighting. So for example, you find pornography on the computer and he says, well, that must've been an old file, you know, hidden on the computer before he met you or you catch him acting out, but he tries to convince you that's not what was going on, right? So that's a, that is a form of abuse and that would fall under verbal abuse. Um, so would blaming you. So knowing 
knowing that um, you know that this happens often, and and some of this you're going to notice in the first couple weeks, perhaps, of recovery when they are still in addict brain. Um, but this, these are all things that should not happen over time as they get into recovery. Um, these are not behaviors that that should be happening. And I think I've mentioned this in the podcast as well. When people ask, you know, how do I know if I uh, we can reconcile and this can be healthy? The more like uh, the more towards uh, taking full responsibility, a hundred percent responsibility that they are when they're communicating to you, the more likely it is that healthy reconciliation is possible. And the more they get into the spectrum of gaslighting or blaming, the less likely it is that it's possible. And that's just a, a, a clue. It's a nice green flag for you to kind of look at. So again, blaming you is is abusive because you didn't do anything. And it's proven over and over and over and over in all of these different relationships and hundreds of different addictions and all these different things. There is nothing that you could do as a spouse that could have caused him to become an addict and there's nothing you can do as a spouse that can force him into recovery. 100%, this is not your fault. You could have been the absolute perfect wife in every single way and he could have still become an addict and you could have been fighting all the time and still not your fault that he became an addict, right? The addict has the responsibility for seeking help and for finding healthy coping mechanisms and for communicating to you and all those things. The addiction is not your fault. Now, we've talked about this as well. Um, of course, there are always things that we as individuals can work on, right? And 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 these are always opportunities when, when we are betrayed and dealing with recovery. There are always opportunities to look at and say, you know, how can I personally improve myself as well? At some point during recovery, we all get to that point, right? But that's not what I'm talking about here. His behavior is not your fault. End of story. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And he should not ever be blaming you or putting any responsibility for his addiction on you, period, end of story. Manipulation also falls within this and love bombing falls within this, okay? So this occurs when actions are not matching their words. So you always, always, always wanna verify that the words are being backed up by consistent, loving, empathetic action. They need to heal for them, not for you, which means they should never be manipulating you in order to get something they want. So um, you just want to be careful with that. You always, when, when you're going through recovery, you always, always, always want to look at their actions and consistency, not their words. Love bombing is something where they um, often will give you gifts, expensive gifts, um, trying to make up for it, all those kinds of all these kinds of things. And uh, there can be some manipulation in how they interact with you, trying to get you to forgive them or not to um, go through with a consequence of a boundary that they've broken, things like that. And you recognize those patterns when they start repeating over and over, right? You're like, hey, we've been here before and nothing has changed. Now, here's where it starts getting really applicable to my story and some of you as well um, is financial abuse, (laughs) right? Has your husband ever spent any money on his acting out or sexual behavior? That is what is called financial abuse. This can include hiding the finances from you, spending money on the addiction or behaviors without your knowledge, opening up new accounts or making purchases without your knowledge, or just simply controlling your access to money. That is financial abuse. Sexual abuse, okay? Now, again, we think rape, right? We think all these different things. Now, to be clear, rape does happen in marriage. So anytime there is not consent from the spouse, that is rape and and that can happen in marriage. And so I would highly recommend reading the book, The Great Sex Rescue. We've mentioned that so many times, but I would, I would highly recommend it. Um, but we're not even talking about rape here. We're talking about the fact that um, you do not have 
full con- uh, the ability to give full consent in your sexual interaction with your spouse when you don't know where their uh, sexual energy is going and when that is hidden from you. So that is that might be difficult to hear that that is sexual abuse, but consent includes the right to know the truth. And when you don't have that, you cannot offer consent. Then there's also emotional abuse. So emotional abuse really occurs when someone's trying to manipulate and control your emotions and behaviors towards them. You know, this is tightly wrapped up with some of the examples of verbal abuse. Um, And again, it's always, always, always important to verify that their words are backed up by consistent action. So here's just an example. If your husband is crying and telling you he'll never do this behavior again, you know, and all these types of things, great. What steps is he putting in place to make sure that that's happening? Is he, is he willing to take a polygraph? Is he willing to go to therapy weekly, right? Like, is he willing to take action on it? What boundary are you setting around that, okay? When someone is truly willing to heal, no matter the cost, their actions will make it known. Okay, number three, you are experiencing a trauma and church counseling is not what you need. Church counseling is not what you need. I'm just gonna say that one more time. As a Christian, uh, I see women try to get support from unqualified church counselors And this is one of the most painful traumas you can possibly experience. And it just absolutely hurts my heart that so many of you have been hurt by your pastor, by your church counselor, um, by your friends in the religious community. And I I do want to be clear here. It's not because they don't care about you. But most of the time, they're simply not qualified. Like they just, they don't actually understand addiction They don't understand that looking at pornography can be an addiction and most of the time turns into an addiction. They also don't understand betrayal trauma. And so they're unable to actually support you through what you're really going through, which is an incredibly intense trauma. And and so again, it's not that they're not trying to love you, but they are able to give you very, very bad advice. And this can keep you stuck. So I'm just going to give a couple examples of how church counseling can go wrong. And that is not being able to identify abuse or manipulation. So sometimes the counselor themselves can be manipulated. And so because they're not trained to see the patterns, this can happen and you will not end up then getting the help that you need because the wool has just been pulled over their eyes. And this can be so painful because then the victim is not fully supported as the victim. They can treat betrayal or addiction as more of a marriage problem instead of an individual issue. So betrayal is never a marriage problem. I'm going to say that again. I said it earlier, but it's never a marriage problem. And and addiction is never a marriage problem. And marriage counseling is just usually not appropriate until the individual that caused the betrayal takes responsibility for their actions, seeks help, and makes changes on their own. So very often marriage counseling can place blame on both of the parties and kind of say, hey, you know, you're both in this, you've both made mistakes, both of you are responsible for the problems here. And a betrayal and addiction, this is just really wrong and more hurtful. It's just a different process and it, it can it can really keep you stuck if you are hearing, um, you know, it's, again, it's not being treated as a, a trauma for you. You're being told that you're partially responsible for this happening in your life and that's just wrong. Uh, church counseling can, or, or biblical counseling can often keep the wife in a submissive role So this is not the primary topic that I'm going to go into on this episode, but, um, you know, I I hope that you have gotten this from me and Patrick. We really want to communicate. We believe that the Bible promotes equality between the, the partners and that the hierarchical submissive 
at least the way that the evangelical church teaches it is um, it, it does actually promote and allow a lot of abuse. And, and here's the reality is even if you believe in that and follow that, no one can be a leader when they're actively, actively abusing their spouse, you know, when they're lying, when they're cheating, when they're not living with integrity, when they're acting out, when they're relapsing. And so even if you did fall within that and kind of believe that and follow that hierarchical structure, I want you to know your husband has no spiritual role over you. And I would personally argue that he never does, but when betrayal occurs, you often end up being the person who picks up the sword and begins defending your family. And so that is not a submissive role. And so I just kind of want to challenge that right here. If you're feeling stuck, if you're feeling like, well, I can't really stand up for myself because I'm not the leader of the house, you are equal to your partner in every way and you have every right to get help and support for yourself and you have every right to um, express the the feelings of hurt that you are are going through. Another way that church counseling or biblical counseling can go wrong and cause some hurt is by prompting forgiveness in inappropriate situations. So forgiveness is not something you just randomly offer to someone who's not seeking it. It's not something you offer to someone actively hurting you. So when they tell women who find out their husband is looking at pornography or engaging with other women in sexual ways that, well, you just need to forgive him, you know, that is essentially telling you your job is to accept abuse and infidelity in your marriage and you have to do it willingly. And that is just wrong. Yes, forgiveness is part of the healing process. And if you're both doing the work, then forgiveness may be extended. If you're doing the recovery work alone, however, forgiveness may only be something between you and God to release the burden and pain from your heart so that you can move on without bitterness. And then finally, um, one of the most painful things, and I mentioned this earlier, is they can tell you that this doesn't qualify for divorce. <laughs> so let's move right on into that, which is number four. Divorce is not just okay, it's often the best choice. Now again, I'm not gonna go into a lot of theology here, um, but this is definitely something the church won't tell you, right? As I mentioned earlier, not only is pornography use clear grounds for divorce, spiritually and biblically, you don't even need those grounds really for it to be acceptable. Once your mental, emotional, or safety needs are not being met in a relationship, you are free to go. Much more so if there's active hurt, abuse, and unrepentance in the relationship. So I've talked about this often, but I've been married twice. Both husbands cheated. I, I divorced my first husband and I have stayed with my second, even though you could argue that the cheating was significantly worse and more hurtful the second time. But these were two separate people who had two different relationships with me and they had significantly different responses for their behavior. So husband number one took no responsibility. He blamed me. He was really manipulative. We had not been happy in the in the relationship previously, or at least I had not. It was very uh, unhappy in that relationship. Patrick never blamed me, never tried to manipulate me, took full responsibility, desperately wanted help looked inward for healing, immediately respected the boundaries I set in place and constantly tried to make me feel safe as we worked through the healing process. So I just kind of want to reiterate this. God never requires you to stay in an abusive relationship of any kind. And we just talked about what abuse is and that is a broader spectrum than a lot of, of us think about. God never requires you to stay in an abusive relationship of any kind. Once a husband has broken his vows, you have more than enough room spiritually to make whatever decision is best for you without any spiritual pressure, opinions, or manipulation from pastors, church counselors, friends, or family. Number five, don't rush into forgiveness. So I sort of just briefly mentioned this. Um, again, this is not typically what you're going to hear from a lot of churches, right? 
But forgiveness is not something you do to just check off a spiritual box. And rushing it really forces you to ignore the natural, healthy process of grieving that God has given to us to help us process our emotions and to acknowledge the reality and validate the experience that you're having. In fact, forgiving too soon encourages people to bypass the healing process. And this actually has been shown to cause more uh, physical ailments and physical pain in women over the long run. When people forgive too soon or force themselves into forgiveness because your body will always keep track of the pain that has not been processed. And so when we try to go about our healing in a way that denies or suppresses or does not actually deal with the reality that we are experiencing, it will stay in the body and cause problems, basically sending signals asking to be addressed. And so that that can become a real issue. And so I, I encourage you not to rush the process, but to get the tools, to work with a practitioner, to get the support that you need so that you can actually feel all of your emotions in, in a safe way and learn the tools and resources to, to process these. You know, feeling anger, sadness, all these emotions, these are healthy. They're normal when you've been betrayed. It's incredibly normal to feel a righteous anger and an indignation at the wrong that has been done to you. It's disgusting. It's horrible. How could this happen? It's not fair. It's absolutely not fair. That should not be glossed over. The pain that you're feeling should not be glossed over. And you also don't want to rush into forgiveness in a way that uh, that lets the individuals off the hook for taking responsibility and making amends for their behavior. So for example, if the husband is you know on his knees and he's crying in the pastor's office and the pastor's saying, hey, you just need to forgive him. Again, what action is actually being taken to support his recovery, to help this never happen again, to address your wounds and the trauma that this has occurred, right? It's all about safety. It's really, really important. Number six, boundaries are actually something that are incredibly loving. Boundaries are something that a lot of people struggle with. Um, So as I get to know more and more women impacted by this trauma, I realize that the less a husband wants to heal, the more difficult it's going to be to set boundaries. But what I will say is that boundaries are not about him. They are about you. Boundaries are very much about what is required to stay in relationship to you. So I would encourage you to approach them that way. And I do have a boundaries workshop. I talk a lot about boundaries in the What's Next course. And I also assist um, the the clients that work with me one-on-one. We just tailor everything and make it unique to you. And we kind of work through your individual situation, but I, I help you set boundaries that way too. But again, it's really about what does it, what do you need to feel safe? And what does that look like, okay? And so sometimes in churches, um, we're not actually, in church counseling or biblical counseling, sometimes women are not encouraged to set boundaries. In fact, they're encouraged to override their boundaries. Like when I mentioned at the beginning, some women are told like, well, you just need to have more sex with your husband. She just found out that he was cheating on her and she's told to override her physical safety and engage in the most vulnerable act with her husband. You know, that is overriding a lot of internal boundaries when your body is saying, I'm screaming in pain. I am um, from, from the emotional wounding that has occurred because he has betrayed me. I'm vulnerable. I am hurting. And you want me to offer up my body to this person, right? Your body is, your body is going to freak out about that one way or another, you know? Um, so there are a lot of boundaries that 
often are encouraged to be overridden. And so my encouragement with you and anyone that is a trauma practitioner of any kind or familiar with betrayal trauma or familiar with addiction is going to encourage you to listen to your body and to communicate with your body and to drop in to listen to what it is that you need to feel safe and how can you set up boundaries to protect yourself. And that's a, that's different in a lot of different scenarios, but I would encourage you to um, to, th- to think about that. Boundaries are loving because you care about your spouse. You want them to succeed and you hold them to a high standard, right? It's like it's like saying if you don't set a accountability boundaries or expectations for your husband in his recovery, it's like saying, well, I, I don't really think you're capable of getting into recovery. So I don't, I don't have any expectations of you, right? Versus no, I have high expectations for being in relationship with me. I absolutely believe that you can recover. And I'm going to hold you to it. And there will be consequences if that doesn't happen, you know? And that's just the reality of life, right? There's consequences to lying. You you lose trust. There's consequences to stealing. There's legal repercussions to that, right? Repercussions. There's, there's a lot of different things in life that have natural consequences. If someone continues to act out in your marriage, there are consequences to that. And that is not you controlling them or controlling their recovery. That is you setting some some guidelines about what does it mean? What are you willing to tolerate in your relationships moving forward? Okay, I think this is number six. <laughs> the Proverbs 31 wife is actually a badass. So this is just something I've I periodically get a little frustrated with this. I feel like Sometimes in the church, Proverbs 31 is used to, it's used to almost support this idea of like a submissive wife somehow. And I don't know, when I read it, I see the total opposite. (laughs) She is really intelligent. She manages finances. She makes deals. She sells land. She makes clothes and she provides for her family. So I really just, I do not understand where someone gets the submissive wife from that passage. I think she is a total badass. She's absolutely strong. She's totally empowered. She is a woman who knows her worth. She knows who who she is. She knows her capabilities and she taps into that. And I find it interesting that her husband is an elder at the city gate where she, the Proverbs 31 wife, where she is to be praised. So her husband is an elder at the city gate where she is to be praised. What what is this telling you? It's indicating love, respect, appreciation, admiration, all the things you deserve in relationship. Obviously, he is wise and respected as well. He's an elder at the city gate, right? And so both of them have positions of prominence and respect and mutual respect for each other, right? Like that's what I see when I look at this passage. You know, it's a, it's a reminder to follow and use the gifts and talents that God has given you. I think that's one of the, Sorry, I'm going to go off on a little tangent here, but I think that's one of the um, devastating aspects of Christian culture that women believe that you, your purpose in life is to be a wife and to help your husband reach his full potential. And in reality, marriage should be two people helping each other to reach your full potential because God has created you, the, the wife, for a purpose as well. And sometimes that is to be a wife and to be a mother and to stay at home. And and I don't want to diminish any of that. I think that's amazing. I think uh, women that choose to have 
several kids and stay at home and homeschool and all those things, I think that's hard. I think it's it, it takes incredible amount of energy and intelligence and love to do all that. So I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm saying maybe that is your purpose. And for, for other people, they have other purposes in life, right? And so I think that regardless of what that is that God has given to you as your gifts and your talents and your calling and your purpose, whatever that is, it's not going to be the same for everyone. And, and a healthy biblical marriage is where two people are helping each other become the best version of themselves and to use all of those gifts and, and talents. Okay. Number seven, you are not alone. I was absolutely floored when I found out about Patrick and when I started learning about sex addiction, I was really overwhelmed. I, I remember learning like all these statistics, right? And you go, no way, that's how many people are going through this. And at the same time that you recognize that so many people in your church are going through this, why is there nobody to talk about it? Why do you feel so much shame about it? Why do you not immediately have um, a support group to plug into, right? And and so it can be it can feel very very isolating. It's just a topic that brings a lot of shame. Um, there are not that many people publicly sharing their story, and and I totally get that. I understand why this has not been an easy journey. Going out and telling people, you know, talking about recovery, it's not always easy. It, it can be very draining, and and even going into um a career where you hear other people's stories, right? That can really take a toll. So I, I I understand why why it is that a lot of people don't go public or don't go into coaching or counseling. I, I get it. And because of that, uh, we are left to feel very alone. And so you may be feeling like that. And I just want to let you know, you're not. There are resources, there are tools. Reach out to me if you, if you need support. Um, there are a lot of women that are going through this. There are a lot of women that have gone through it. And you are absolutely not alone. And you may not even be alone in your family. You might not be alone in your church. You might not be alone in your group. You might just not know who has actually, um, there might not be people who have actually um, confided in you. So there, uh, unfortunately, some of the support that you will get sometimes is virtual. Sometimes there are support groups locally in your community, but I do hope that you will tap into some sort of support group so that you can really absorb that love and that community and that acceptance of women who really get you on a different level. And um, also, of course, I always encourage you to work with a trauma-informed practitioner. Uh, I do work with women one-on-one, so if you're interested in that, please reach out. There's some links in the show notes to book a connection call, and I'm happy to get to know you a little bit and talk about how working together might be supportive. Um, but I do hope you will tap into some sort of support and community because you are absolutely not alone. This is happening everywhere. There are a lot of people struggling and um, you are not, not alone. And that goes for the addict as well. You are absolutely not alone. There's so many, so many men going through this, so many individuals that are struggling with this and uh, there's so many resources out there for you. Number eight, couples counseling isn't the first step and may never be a step. I, I touched on this earlier, so I'm not gonna really go into this. But again, the betrayed partner, the last thing you you want is to be put into a situation like couples counseling where your own behavior is analyzed with the potential of being labeled codependent or an enabler to the abuse that you never knew was occurring. Of course you weren't codependent. Of course you weren't enabling. You didn't know this was happening, right? And so a lot of these um, old models uh, or old ways of thinking can be really hurtful. Um, And so you really wanna work with uh, individuals that are trained in betrayal, individuals that are trained in trauma, and um, you know are aware of sex addiction and acknowledge it um, as wrong and all of that kind of stuff. 
Number nine, your choices are, or actually, I think this is number 10, so I must have gotten off somewhere uh, off count. So number 10, your choices are between you and God, no one else. So I just want to reiterate that your spiritual relationship with God is yours. I do absolutely 100% believe in absolute truths. I believe in right and wrong. I believe in the Bible. And I also believe, like I mentioned earlier, that a lot of times religion gets in the way of truth. And things that we, we have little church cultures and we have Christianese and we have human weaknesses that allow us to create more shame, create more fear in the church instead of love and compassion. And so I just kind of want to, uh, I just want to encourage you to really delve into what do you believe personally? And I encourage you to go directly to scripture and then maybe read some commentaries and and maybe read some different perspectives. Um, If you need some resources, I'm happy to give you some suggestions. Um, But, you know, I think that it's really important. You know, I, I went through a situation where I had to kind of stand up against, you know, I was very young. I was like 20 or 21 in my first marriage when I was getting divorced. And it was so scary for me to essentially, you know, go up against the pastor, you know, this male leader of the church that I had been going going to for 17 years. And and in fact, that did turn into a long-term uh, trigger, a long-term trauma for me. It was very scary um, to stand up for myself and to push back and to make the decision that I did to leave the church. Um, but ultimately, I felt incredibly good about that decision because I did know what I believed. I did feel like it was the right decision and I 100% did stand up for myself and what I needed. And so I want to encourage you to do that. There is a still small part of you that knows in every situation what the right thing to do is. There is this inner voice. Um, And if you are a Christian, maybe it is the Holy Spirit. Um, But there is a peace in all of us that you know what you need and you know what the right thing to do is. And so often in life, we are conditioned and kind of programmed to ignore that, to suppress it, to override it, to be polite, to be a people pleaser, to quote unquote, respect our elders, to do all these things, right? And I just really want to empower you today. You know what's right. And I want you to just make sure you know what you believe. Because if you know those two things, if you know what is right and you know what you believe, and you're making a decision that other people disagree with, ultimately that doesn't really matter because it's between you and God. And again, I'm not saying not to get uh, encouragement, not to get counsel, not to get advice, but there, just trust your body, trust your, um, trust your inner voice, trust yourself and trust God that he will guide you and he will give you wisdom and pray for that, right? Wisdom to make uh, good decisions. And, um, you know, I really believe that God wants you to feel empowered and strong. And I think he has a purpose for your life and you are made for great things and you're here to accomplish great things. And so I hope that uh, this episode has encouraged you a little bit and maybe challenged your thinking in some ways. This has been uh, a really uh, deep journey for me, a long journey for me with many iterations and uh, lots of research and um, listening to different people talk about different theological things and coming from different approaches and all this kind of stuff. So, um, you know, right now at this point in my life, I feel very comfortable and very happy with um, 
you know, where I am in terms of a lot of those beliefs. But if you're not, then I encourage you to just continue pursuing that. I think, I think asking questions is always very important. So that's all I have for you today. If you would like to download the PDF, um, that is at the link in the show notes and you can see all of the points that I discussed today and some of how I, how I discussed them in the PDF. And so that is, that is available for free. And if you are interested in working together, if you are a betrayed spouse, that would like to get some one-on-one coaching and some support, I do accept female clients and uh, you can click the link below to book a connection call. And I would love to work with you. And in that call, we will just basically, I will ask you some questions to get to know where you're at, what you're struggling with, where you are in the journey. And if I feel like I can help you, I will make the best recommendation for what that looks like and kind of create a roadmap of, you know, what we would do together and how I could support you. So check out that link. It's a connection call in the show notes. And I hope you have a great week. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this podcast interesting or helpful, it would mean so much if you leave a five-star review or post a screenshot and share on social media. We are on a mission to share the message of recovery and you can help get the word out. If you know a friend who could use this podcast, please share it.